By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May be seated. I'm a big fan of the lectionary. The lectionary is our weekly cycle of readings that we have each Sunday morning throughout the course of the church year. Lectionaries have taken different forms over the course of the church's history, but in the modern era, we've settled into a, a three-year cycle. Uh, as a preacher, I, I've always relished the benefit and the challenge of preaching from the lectionary. I think there's a number of benefits, but one I find particularly beneficial is the way that the preaching uh, from the lectionary prevents me from imposing my own tastes or preferences uh, into what we hear on Sunday morning. I can't just preach my favorite books all the time, otherwise we'd only have sermons on the Gospel of John and the Letter of the Hebrews. <laughs> Rather, I have to receive what the lectionary gives us and develop what's there and then try to pass it along to you all. Sometimes those who preach in non-lectionary contexts will point to the benefit of walking slowly through one book of the Bible at a time. You know, in some contexts, it's a, it's a virtue that a preacher spends like five years, Sunday by Sunday, going through the book of Romans, every verse getting an hour-long sermon. That sounds kind of exhausting to me, and it's highly unlikely to ever happen here. Still, I do recognize the potential benefit of staying with one book of the Bible for a while to let that whole self-contained unit inform what we meditate on here on, uh, for a few Sundays. And at times, the lectionary actually gives us this opportunity, an opportunity we have right now. For these first four weeks of October, today and, and the next three, our lectionary has our epistle readings coming from St. Paul's second letter to St. Timothy. We don't read every word of the book, but we read most of those words, and so I'm going to take this lectionary afforded opportunity to preach through Second Timothy this month, something I actually have never done, but I'm not one to turn down a homiletical challenge. So let's begin. Now, we don't often do this here, and I think that's fine, but if you want to look at the passage while I'm talking, there are actually Bibles in your pews, and the reference is in the bulletin, so 2 Timothy 1. Of course, you can pull the passage on your phone, and then you can just like live tweet it while I'm talking as well. <laughs> so what's, what's going on here in, in 2 Timothy? Well, Paul is likely writing from a Roman prison, uh, awaiting what would be the end of his ministry and indeed the end of his life. This is likely the final or one of the final letters that Paul ever wrote. And Paul's writing to Timothy, who's probably overseeing uh, uh, the churches in Ephesus at this time, the churches that Paul had a hand in starting. And even just stating that context, I think, should give us a little bit of an indication as to the tone and the purpose of this letter. Anyone, I think, coming to the close of their career or even the end of their life can relate to the desire to uh, ensure a smooth transition to a new leader. And so this, then, I think is one of uh, what I see as one of the overarching motifs of the letter, that of, of, of receiving something, of, of nurturing and developing it, and then passing it along to someone else. Paul's urging Timothy to continue nurturing the churches that have come about because of Paul's preaching of the gospel, uh, this new way of life available to the followers of Jesus, just as Paul himself had received this way of life, had nurtured it, and had passed it along to Timothy. And the practical upshot for us, then, is that, as we'll see, that we, too, are to take care of what we've received, to nurture and develop it, and then prepare to, be, to pass it along to those who come after us. And as I said, we're not going to spend an hour on each verse, so we don't have to go phrase by phrase, except, like, the first phrase is kind of really important. So, so bear with me. We have to unpack even just, like, the second word in 2 Timothy. So here's verse 1. Paul 
an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, this isn't just a, a nice little formal greeting. It's, it's that, too. But I think it's actually loaded with content regarding how Paul sees himself in relation to the good news about Jesus Christ, the good news about living a new way of life after the pattern of Jesus. An apostle is a messenger, one who's sent to convey or relate some message, only later came to be associated with a particular office or role in the church. But even then, the core meaning, I think, remains the same. The capital A apostles were the original receivers of the gospel, or original receivers of the good news about Jesus, that that he died and that he rose again and that there was a new life available to them. But they were not just the receivers. They, they nurtured and they unfolded this good, good news, and they were then sent by God to convey this message to others. So in Paul's very, very designation of himself, his very title, he reminds Timothy that Paul, too, had received the gospel and had passed it along to others, the very thing Paul's going to be asking Timothy to do in the course of this letter. I think, moreover, by referring to himself as a messenger of Christ Jesus by the will of God, Paul shows himself to be under the authority of Christ, in submission to Christ. And a messenger is just that, not the originator of the message, but the means, the, the medium, the communicator of it. We have the cliche, don't shoot the messenger, because when bad news comes, we know the bad news isn't the messenger's fault. It's the same with the good news. Paul didn't preach anything to the church in Ephesus that originated with Paul. Rather, he gave what he had received. Here, in fact, is how Paul puts it when he wrote to the church in Corinth. Paul said, Now I remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15. So even the great St. Paul describes himself here as but a messenger, simply receiving the good news about Christ, nurturing it, and passing it along to others, including the church in Ephesus that Timothy was being charged to care for. Now again, not going phrase by phrase, but sorry, just a few phrases later in, in verse 3, this theme also emerges when Paul says this, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. And I find that little, almost kind of parenthetical comment to corroborate this idea that, that Paul saw himself as not just hoping that Timothy would carry on Paul's project, but that Timothy would, would pass along a, a grand project of, of serving God that Paul himself had received. And strikingly here, it's not just the project of proclaiming Christ that Paul has in mind here, but Paul actually sketches that the project of serving God stretches way back to his ancestors and thus flows from these ancestors through Christ to the present project that Paul and Timothy are engaging. It's almost as if Christianity, as Paul saw it, was not some, some novel flash in the pan, but was in fact the rightful continuation of the service of God begun way back under the Old Covenant. Paul received this, he, he nurtured it, and he was passing it along. So this was the situation, this is Paul's situation of receiving the good news, of, of nurturing it, developing it, and passing it along to Timothy. And then Paul pivots to remind Timothy himself that he is in this same situation, 
and to exhort him to nurture and develop what he's received so that he might pass it along to those he was overseeing in Ephesus. I think Paul does this in, in two ways, if you follow along there. Uh, first, he, he reminds Timothy of how he received from his family, and second, he reminds Timothy of how he received from Paul. So on the first, Paul says in verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy received the good news through his family. We don't know much about the specifics here for Timothy. I'm sure many of us can resonate with first receiving the gospel from our families. Of course, not all of us are like that. Some of us are like Paul, who got it you know, by the grace of God later in life. Any time is a good time to receive the gospel. But Paul here reminds Timothy of his familial inheritance that he's being called to pass along. But secondly, in Paul's reminders to Timothy, Paul reminds him of what Timothy received from Paul himself. And this is in verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, what's going on there with this phrase, the laying on of my hands? Well, this is actually something of a contentious phrase, and how you interpret this is in uh, in an Anglican context, is going to be reflective of your churchmanship. So uh, the phrase high church is one we sometimes throw around here at All Souls, and that's a very relative phrase um, in Anglicanism. It means different things in different contexts to different people. I think in our context, when the phrase high church is used, we often use that to refer to like what we do on Sunday morning, things like sing hymns and wear robes, light candles and swing incense. But again, I say it's, that's a relative term, because relative to some churches, maybe in Wheaton, All Souls is maybe like a top five liturgical highness uh, parish. <laughs> but relative to other Anglo-Catholic parishes around the country, we're not even a one percenter. So I, I tend to think that liturgically All Souls is like somewhat high church, upper middle high perhaps on the liturgical <laughs> high church spectrum. But a denotation like high church does not just refer to liturgical sensibilities, but also to theological and ecclesiological sensibilities. That is, with respect to how one thinks of the nature of the church. And one such area of, of demarcation on the highness spectrum has to do with one's view of the office of the bishop. The episcopacy, the office of the bishop, the term episcopacy or episcopal just comes from the Greek word we translate as bishop or overseer. The office of the bishop, an Episcopal form of, of, of church, is what distinguishes Anglicans, Orthodox, Roman Catholics, to some extent Methodists and Lutherans, on one hand, from other expressions of Christianity, like the Presbyterian, Reformed, Baptist, Congregational, and Pentecostal traditions. So what's going on there with that phrase, the laying on of my hands in, in this context here? Well, if one is like super low church, technical phrase, if one's super low church, this is probably, uh, you're probably going to see this laying out of hands as something closer to a high five. You know, Paul's like, hey, Tim, all right, you got this. Boom, pound it. See ya. <laughs> and if one's super high church, like spiky high church, one's going to see this as Paul reminding Timothy of when Paul consecrated him as a bishop in the church, and which enacted an ontological change in Timothy's very being to continue on the apostolic ministry through the office of bishop. That would then be extended to all whom Timothy laid hands on in perpetuity. Well, as I said, we're somewhat high church here, and this kind of fits my own sensibilities of being maybe upper middle high or maybe lower upper high, depending upon the day of the week. 
but I do take this expression by Paul as referring to a, a formal moment in time when he commissioned Timothy to serve the church in a specific manner. Like Titus in Crete, Timothy was to oversee the churches in Ephesus, bringing order to these Christian communities and ensuring that the gospel was rightly proclaimed and the sacraments properly administered and, and that uh, false teaching was corrected. Now this then, on, on my view at least, uh, sows the seeds for a kind of uh, more formal Episcopal ministry, something we see in greater detail in the early second century, like 70 or 80 years later. Through the laying on of hands, Paul conferred on Timothy a particular role, a particular means of receiving and passing on the Christian way of life. And then Timothy likewise passes this along to those who are likewise called to serve in this capacity. And I take it that there is, in fact, a historic genealogy of sorts by means of the laying on of hands that connects even present-day ministers in the church back through the centuries to these first overseers. However, note the phrase at the end of our reading. In verse 14, Paul says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Whereas some, maybe on the spiky high side of Anglicanism, might hold that all that is needed is this formal laying on of hands for this genealogy to go through, I think what's necessary is the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within the, the hand layers as well. We think of sacraments as uh, outward and visible signs of inward and spiritual graces. The laying on of hands is an outward and visible sign. This literal gesture is used in the consecration of bishops, the ordination of priests and deacons, and in the rite of confirmation. The inward and spiritual grace, or at least one of the graces, is the Holy Spirit-enabled receiving of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit-enabled call to nurture and develop this so as to be able to, by the Holy Spirit, pass it along to others. The outward sign points to an inward grace, but this grace is none other than the enabling of the Holy Spirit who dwells within each and every follower of Christ. Now, what does this all mean for us? Well, I think that we, too, have a similar vocation, a similar project as Timothy. We've been entrusted with many things, individually and as a parish, but I think God is calling us to receive, to nurture and develop, and then to pass along. We've inherited a project of worshiping and serving God that directly links us to the same ancestors Paul was talking about. If we're in Christ as Paul was in Christ, then his spiritual fathers and mothers are our spiritual fathers and mothers. We can claim Father Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and all the prophets as our forebears, just as Paul does. And now we add Paul himself and Timothy and the other New Testament figures as our spiritual ancestors. Plus, like Timothy, we too, who have received the laying on of hands, either in ordination or in confirmation, have been entrusted with the good news about Christ. And we then have the responsibility to nurture and develop this way of life so that we can pass it along to others. Both of these, both of these rites, ordination and confirmation, connects us to the Episcopal structure, to the office of the bishop, as a way of receiving what we've been entrusted with. But again, it's not just the office that we're connected to, it's the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that enables us to receive, nurture, and pass along a new way of life, modeled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So Paul's exhortation to Timothy then is an exhortation to us as well. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I don't love that word guard in verse 14. I think that typically has kind of like a defensive connotation to it, which is maybe apt at times. But in addition, I think the word has a sense of maintain and preserve or nurture and develop, as I've been using. And so in the coming weeks, as we work together through 2 Timothy, we'll think together more specifically about how we individually and as a parish will try to maintain what's been entrusted to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.